This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher, Jeremy Myers. This is episode number 67. And we're looking at Jonah 1.4. The title of this episode is, Does God Send Storms? I thought it was interesting, uh, as I was preparing this podcast, Does God Send Storms? I sometimes think God sends things into our lives right while we're dealing with them, because this week, last week, as I've been preparing this podcast, my wife and I have been experiencing some storms in our life. Nothing too serious, uh, but... but um, some, some difficulties, and uh, you know, quite often it feels like we're in a storm. I imagine you felt that way at times in your life as well, being buffeted by winds and waves and that sort of a thing. And uh, sometimes it feels like we're drowning, trying to keep our heads above water, that sort of a thing. Anyway, my wife mentioned some of these struggles to someone this week, and uh, they sent her an email to my wife saying that the reason my wife and I are facing these storms is because we are sinning. Uh, The person who wrote this email to my wife said that uh, God sent these troubles into our life. And it's because of our views on church and uh, because of our good friendship, our love for people in the LGBT community. You know, and that's why we're sinning. Uh, We've been deceived by Satan, (laughs) this person said in the email. And uh, so that's why God is punishing us with these troubles and difficulties, these storms in life that we're facing. You ever been told something like that? <laughs> anyway, uh, people read the Bible and, and like Jonah 1.4 that we're going to see today. God sends this storm on Jonah because Jonah's disobeying God. And so they say, see, when storms come in your life, it's because you are disobeying God. Anyway, that's what we're going to look at today. Is that really how God works? Does God send storms into our life to punish us? If you sin, is God going to send disasters into your life to punish you? Sickness, disease, famine... Loss of job, loss of income, loss of health, maybe even the loss of a loved one? Is that what God does? Well, lots of people think so. And it's because of verses like Jonah 1-4 that that's that's the reason they think this. So uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Before we do that, though, have you joined me online in the discipleship area of my website yet? I've got a new book coming out at the end of the month. I'm pretty excited about it, working on it a very long time. Along with it, I'm going to be putting out a brand new course, hopefully, in the discipleship area. And if you become a member, you'll be notified about the book and the course at the end of this month. And if you are a member of the Hope or Love discipleship um, levels, then you can take that new course for free, absolutely free. It's going to be a massive course, 50 hours of instruction, something like that. Um, and by taking that course, you will never read the Bible the same way again. I'm not making that, I'm not boasting about that. I I really am convinced the information I share in this course is going to be huge in helping you understand scripture like never before. So anyway, um, become, uh, join that discipleship level of, uh, hope or love at redeeminggod.com slash join. You'll be notified of the book and you will also be able to take that course for free when it comes out. Okay. So let's study Jonah 1.4, just as a, a little bit of a reminder. So far in Jonah 1, remember, uh, we looked at who Jonah was, this 
famous prophet. And God called Jonah to go and preach against the wickedness in the city of Nineveh, right? And you would think Jonah would jump at the opportunity, but instead, strangely, (laughs) shockingly, Jonah does the opposite. He heads off in the other direction, towards Tarshish, at the end of the world, okay, in in the other direction. And uh, so now, God's response to Jonah is found in Jonah 1.4. And the verse says this, But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Uh, so much going on here. You know, as I was uh, actually studying this, it, it made me go back to our studies in Genesis about the chaos of the deep and, and the, uh, the wind of God hovering over the surface of the deep and just uh, how the ancient Israelites thought about the chaos and to home uh, the deep and, and uh, just how it was uh, the abode of chaos, all that. But I'm not going to deal with that too much. You can go and do some of that parallel study on your own. Maybe some of it will be brought up in later studies in Jonah. But uh, initially, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot from this verse. You know, God sent a storm upon one of his uh, sinful people. So what? <laughs> right? That's, that's, that's how God acts against rebellion. We all know that. Everybody knows that to be true. So uh, we read Jonah 1.4, and uh, we shrug our shoulders. Yeah, nothing new to see here. Yeah, and we move on into 1.5. But I want to just invite you to stop and pause a little bit. I want to challenge that entire line of thought as we consider Jonah 1.4 today. Now, we're going to do that. We're going to take a quick look at the verse itself. I'm going to point out a few things from the text. But then I want to move on and discuss what this verse is saying about God's involvement with storms. And when I talk about storms in today's podcast episode, I'm not just talking about clouds and wind and waves and weather patterns, right? I'm also talking about the storms of life, the, the, the difficulties that you and I face in life, the disasters, the problems with jobs and family members, loss of family members, sickness, disease, loss of friendships, okay? Just all of those things. When I'm talking about storms today, I want you to have all of that in mind as well, okay? Not just what's going on uh, outside with the storms, but but also in your own life, with your own friendships, okay, in, in your marriage, with your children, at your work, those sorts of things as well, okay? But um, first of all, let's just admit it from the text. Jonah 1.4 does contain the response uh, from God we all expect, right? God called Jonah to to go and defend God's honor, remember? But instead, what did Jonah do? Well, we saw that he basically, Jonah basically slapped God in the face, okay? He ran off to Tarshish. All right, so, so in Jonah 1.4, God apparently sets out to kill Jonah uh, and <laughs> those unlucky sailors who just happened to be on the boat with him, right, at the time. So uh, the text says that the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, all right? Uh, that word sent there, that's a really weak translation from the Hebrew I would prefer hurled, okay? That's the word. The Lord hurled. He's up in heaven and he hurls this storm down upon the sea. Sort of, you can imagine Zeus, this god Zeus, the Greek, uh, from the ancient uh, mythology, Greek mythology, Zeus. That's sort of the way God is portrayed here. And there's reason for that. We're going to talk about that a little bit later today. So the Lord hurled this great wind upon the sea. That that sort of provides the image here uh, of what's going on. And uh, most people at that time, 
believed that, uh, you know, deities, certain deities ruled over the land and other deities ruled over the sea, right? Other deities ruled over weather or crops or those sorts of things. Remember, we, we talked about some of that and we're looking at Genesis 1. Uh, God is shown here to sort of be in control of everything, all right? Uh, he's the God of all creation. And uh, here it appears that this God of all creation is, has set out to destroy Jonah for his, his rebellion, for his insult to God's honor, for his shameful behavior, all right? Uh, and, and so next in the verse, we, we read that this, uh, this great wind that God hurled upon the sea, it, it became or caused a mighty tempest, a great storm. So this isn't some minor storm. It's a tempest, a violent burst of wind, a hurricane-level storm here. Uh, Huge waves, pelting rain, okay? We see here in a couple verses, we're not going to look at them today, but uh, this is such a great storm, these seasoned sailors are afraid for their lives, right? It's the biggest storm they've ever seen. Uh, in ancient times, by the way, storms were seen to be one of the primary ways that the gods disciplined people, especially sinners. You know, if, if someone's sin was so great, uh, the gods would, would literally wait. This is in ancient myths and so on from other religions. The gods would literally wait until that person's on a boat or on a ship headed somewhere, <laughs> and then they would send a storm to sink it, <laughs> okay? Along with all the other innocent people who were just unlucky enough to be on board. Um, now, the, the question is, is that the way God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is that the way he behaves also? Well, from here, from here in verse 4, it, it looks like the answer might be yes. Uh, in fact, uh, the storm is so great, there at the end of verse 4, it says that the ship was about to be broken up. Uh, the ship was about to break into pieces. In fact, the Hebrew is even a little more colorful as well. It almost, um, there's this creaking and groaning sound with the Hebrew words that are used. It's very poetic. Uh, And even the ship itself, the ship thought it was to be broken to pieces. So the ship is thinking, I'm not going to survive this. That's what the ship, the ship is almost um, personified here. The ship is thinking it's going to break up. (laughs) That's how, it's sort of how the Hebrew reads. Um, And it's, it's very poetic. Uh, The point, of course, if the ship thinks it's going to be broken up, then what are the people on the ship thinking? Well, as we're going to, again, read in the next verses, the sailors also think they're about to lose their lives. And then that raises the question, what about Jonah? And uh, we see in in other verses what Jonah thinks, okay? He also thinks he's going to lose his life, but he doesn't seem to care. Anyway, all that we'll be looking at in verses 5, 6, 7, and following, okay? Uh, Anyway, uh, that's it for verse 4, though. There's nothing else in verse 4. Big storm, uh, big, uh, big wind, big storm, and the, the ship thinks it's, it's done for. Simple and straightforward, let's move on, right? <laughs> no, not right. You listened to last week's study on Jonah 1.3. I indicated right at the very end of that podcast that for me, Jonah 1.4 uh, might be the most difficult verse in this entire book of Jonah, all right? Uh, for, for me personally. And that's because of the theology about God that is presented in this verse. For me, the biggest question in Jonah is this verse about whether or not God actually sends storms or sent this storm, this particular storm. Okay, and yes, yes, yes. You say, well, Jeremy, it says, it says right there that God sent it. What's the question? 
Do you believe the Bible or don't you? <laughs> yes, I believe the Bible, okay? Um, I have a very nuanced view on inerrancy. Some people have accused me of, of saying I believe inerrancy, but I don't. Okay, but I do. You just have to understand how I uh, define that, and, and uh, I believe what the Bible is revealing inerrantly may not be what, what other people who believe in inerrancy believe. You don't get confused. We'll talk about all this in future books. You'll have to read my books. I probably won't talk about it too much in a podcast. Um, but the bottom line is, I, I, I'm not... Lots of people look at this verse, and they believe that God doesn't send storms, so they say, well, this is an error. I don't believe that, okay? I, I don't believe... I'm unwilling to say the Bible contains errors. I, I, it starts too much of a slippery slope for me, picking and choosing what verses I want and don't want, that sort of a thing, okay? Um, but I'm also unwilling to say that God behaves the way this verse seems to portray him, okay? Um, look, if, if you don't have a problem with God sending storms on people and destroying uh, people's lives, you know, especially sinners, or even the innocent people who just happen to be on board with the sinner, okay? These sailors, these poor sailors. Look, keep listening, and uh, I'll explain why I do have a problem with it. And and by the way, if you've been reading my blog for five or six years, uh, you know that this particular issue has been one I've been struggling with for quite some time. In fact, uh, five or six years ago, I set out to write a book on it. It's still not done, Although some of the books, like The Atonement of God and this book I've got coming out at the end of the month, are taken from ideas, from themes, even uh, some passages, some chapters that I wrote for that book. Anyway, the, the big issue for me was uh, these violent passages out of the Old Testament. What do they mean? What are they teaching us? Does God really behave this way? In, like, like the flood account in Genesis 6, 7, and 8, or, or, or the ten plagues in Exodus, or the drowning of the Egyptian army in the Red Sea, these sorts of things, right? It's not an issue, by the way, of power. I believe God is powerful enough, omnipotent enough to send storms like this. That's not the issue at all. Okay? The issue for me is whether or not God sends storms that kill people, right? And it's not just storms either. Again, floods, famines, diseases, wars, right? Heart attacks, all of these sorts of things. Or takes people's jobs, right? Here in the text, we don't see God actually killing anybody, but in the following verses, we see the sailors throw their cargo overboard, so he's ruining their jobs. Does God do these things? And if he does them then, does he do them now to your life and my life? The troubles my wife and I are facing right now, did God send them upon us? Anyway, my problem, you say, well, what's the problem, Jeremy? Do you believe God can do these things or or can't he? Yes, I believe he can. The question is, does he? And here's why I think that maybe God doesn't, okay? My problem With this verse and other verses like it in the Old Testament, my problem comes from Jesus. If you've been uh, listening to this podcast for a while, reading my blog for a while, read any of my books, especially my book, The Atonement of God, you you know that I, I, I try to allow Jesus to be my guide for how I read and interpret Scripture. Uh, Jesus is the lens through which I read the Bible. A lot of people talk about reading the Bible with rose-colored glasses. I read the Bible with Jesus-colored glasses, okay? (laughs) 
uh, in, the, in my book, The Atonement of God, I called it the crucifixion lens, okay, based on the crucifixion of Jesus. Everything I read in the Bible, I read through the crucifixion of Jesus. Christ and him crucified, Paul says. Okay, I try to do the same thing. Um, I, I allow the crucifixion of Jesus and, and even the, the entire life and ministry of Jesus to guide me in my understanding of, of Scripture, uh, of myself, of life, and especially of God. Okay, so, so when, when it comes to passages like the flood, uh, here in Genesis, or in Genesis 6, you know, I step back um, and I say, okay, here in Genesis 6, God is apparently portrayed as drowning millions and millions of people. Is this something I can imagine Jesus ever doing? And in the case of the flood, the answer is no. I can't imagine Jesus ever doing this. Drowning millions of people, not just the people, you know, the men, the women, the children. Drowning millions of children. Not just them, but the animals as well. Is this something Jesus would do? No, Jesus loved sinners. He forgave sinners. He dined with sinners, ate with sinners. He doesn't drown them. He dies for them. Right? So as a result, in the case of the flood anyway, I have to come up with an explanation for what is happening in Genesis 6, 7, and 8 that allows the events to have actually occurred. I do believe the flood is historical, a historical event. I believe it actually happened, a worldwide flood. But I have to explain Genesis 6, 7, and 8, understand 6, 7, and 8 in a way that does not have God drowning millions of people, including the women and children, and the animals as well, okay? God doesn't engage in animal cruelty either. He doesn't drown dogs and cats and sheep, okay? Uh, anyway, the, the same sort of issue is raised here in Jonah 1-4. Again, in 10 plagues and drowning of Egyptian army in the Red Sea, all these sorts of things, okay? So, as we move forward in Jonah 1-4, here we have Jonah disobeying God, and then God pummels him with a storm. Okay, so again, I go back to Jesus. Is this something Jesus would do? If if Jesus had a follower, you know, like Jonah, and this follower of his disobeyed Jesus, would Jesus pummel him with a storm? (laughs) No. Jesus had many followers, 12 of them, 12 of his close followers, who on the night he was arrested and betrayed, did forsake him, turn their back on him, slap him in the face. One of them, his closest, one of his closest anyway, even cursed him and denied him. Right? Cursed that he ever knew him. But when Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, he sought these followers out and he loved them, he forgave them, he restored them to fellowship and even to leadership. That's what Jesus does. Right? When, when, when the, uh, the same disciples are out on this boat, and a storm does come upon them, okay? Jesus, and, and they show a lack of faith. One of them, again, same one. Jesus called to me, if it's really you called to me, and he comes out walking on the, Peter comes walking on the uh, waves, right? Wind and waves. And then he has a, a lack of faith, and he starts to drown. Does Jesus just let the wind and waves take him? You know, drown, you idiot, (laughs) for not believing in me. No. (laughs) He rescues Peter first, and then he calms the storm. It's a teaching lesson, for sure, teaching moment. 
But Jesus doesn't let him drown. He doesn't make the storm worse because of their lack of faith. He calms the storm. And again, we could even go to these poor sailors on the boat here in Jonah 1. What about them? You know, they're just doing their job. They're not doing anything wrong. And then Jonah gets on the boat, and because God is out to get Jonah, these innocent bystanders, they also are going to lose their lives? You know, even though their lives are spared through a series of events we'll talk about in future, you know, they, they lost their cargo overboard. Remember last week we saw um, from uh, First Kings that uh, Solomon traded with Tarshish during his reign. It was a three-year round, uh, round trip. So these sailors are potentially losing three years' worth of income when they throw their cargo overboard. Okay, What they're going to take to Tarshish to trade, and then uh, when they get there, they will trade other stuff and bring it back to sell. So if, they, if they're throwing their cargo overboard, they don't have anything now to take to Tarshish to, to sell, and therefore they can't buy anything to bring back. Is this fair to them? Is this fair to their wives and children who are depending on that income? And can you imagine Jesus doing this? No. <laughs> when he sees the multitudes who are hungry and weary and tired and thirsty, he has compassion upon them and he feeds them. I, I just cannot imagine doing any of this stuff that we see here in, in some of these opening verses in Jonah chapter 1. And, and so, if Jesus shows us what God is like, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? And Jesus never does these sorts of things that we, that we read here in Jonah 1. Then, logically, theologically, God doesn't do these things either, right? If, if God does these things, but Jesus does not, then Jesus is not the full revelation of God. So, you have to ask yourself, does Jesus fully reveal God to us or not, right? Uh, when Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, was Jesus telling the truth or not? <laughs> That's the question. Is Jesus hiding some dark side of God, right, <laughs> that only shows up in the Old Testament but not in the Gospels? You know, Paul writes this in Colossians 1. Uh, he says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Well, do you believe that or not? Is Paul correct? Is Paul writing the truth there? Uh, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. Well, is that a lie? Oh, but we have to believe the Old Testament. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but we have to believe it through the lens of Jesus. Jesus shows us what God is like. And if we read certain passages in the Old Testament, and we cannot see Jesus doing this, acting this way, believing, uh, speaking this way, then we either have to believe what Jesus and Paul and the author of Hebrews say and read those Old Testament passages differently, or we have to deny what Jesus himself says and Paul and the author of Hebrews and just say, well, the Old Testament says it, so I believe it. <laughs> For me, I take that first route. I, I choose to side with Jesus and Paul and the author of Hebrews and then read those Old Testament passages in a different way. Not saying they're wrong, not saying they're errors, but read them differently. Read them through the lens of Jesus Christ. Anyway, I write some more about this in my book, The Atonement of God. But what does all this have to do? <laughs> Rapidly running out of time here. What does all this have to do with Jonah 1.4? How can we read Jonah 1.4 through the lens of Jesus Christ? 
How can we read Jonah 1.4 so that what this verse says, God sends a storm, so that it's still true, but also so that it can look like Jesus? Whew, tall order, right? Uh, just so you know, uh, while I am preparing these podcasts on Jonah, I am also writing a full-length commentary on the book of Jonah. So uh, hopefully by the time we're done with the podcast, the written commentary on Jonah will also be done. And that's the goal anyway. And um, hopefully, not hopefully, that commentary will contain a lot more detailed explanation than what I'm going to give to you in the next five minutes or so as we close out this podcast episode, okay? So uh, all that in mind, if my answer here doesn't satisfy you, just know there will be more in the commentary that will be coming Uh, hopefully by the time we're done with our study on Jonah. Okay, so basically what it comes down to, my understanding of Jonah 1, 4, is um, my my view overall on the entire book of Jonah. And again, you don't know the entire, my view on the entire book of Jonah because we're just in verse 4, okay? So uh, what I'm saying here also will become much more clear as we work our way through the text. And I don't want to ruin it all for you, okay? I'm not going to give away the book, but... Basically, I want you to understand what's going on here in the book of Jonah is that God is taking Jonah on a journey. Now, you might say, yeah, you wanted him to go to Nineveh, but instead Jonah's going to Tarshish. But we all know that Jonah ends up in Nineveh. That's the journey. No, I'm not talking about a geographical journey here, okay, to God taking Jonah to Nineveh. No, I'm not talking about that at all. God is taking Jonah on a journey, but it is a journey into Jonah's heart. Maybe even a journey into God's heart, okay? But even that is not the journey in the book of Jonah. Uh, The journey is the journey that God is taking you and me on, okay? When, When God takes Jonah on this journey, as readers of this story, you and I get to go along on the journey with Jonah, Uh. We'll see all this when we get to Jonah chapter 4, but there's a lot of ground to cover in the rest of Jonah 1 and 2 and 3, okay? But as God is taking Jonah on a journey, and since you and I are reading and studying this text, we are along for the ride. And we're going to see as we go along that Jonah himself is further along the road than most other people are. Okay, further along, Jonah is light years ahead in his journey with God than uh, you might be, than I might be. He's definitely light years ahead in his journey with God than most Christians today are, okay? Uh, I I will be talking about that in, in future chapters. Jonah knows some things about God that few people in his day, and especially few people in our day, understand. Okay, and you and I will learn what Jonah knows about God um, later in this book. Not, it's, we won't learn it until Jonah, uh, uh, Jonah chapter four. But uh, in order to know what Jonah knows, in order to learn what Jonah learns or Jonah knows, we need to be invited along on the journey ourselves. Okay, again, this is a journey we're taking with Jonah, and we need to get some of these basic truths out of the way. We need to learn. What Jonah knows, and we have to start here. We have some catching up to do. That's my point. Uh, Jonah's view of God is light years ahead of what people in his day or people in our day 
believed about God, okay? Um, but we, we, we've got some catching up to do. Um, so, so where are we today? And that's the, that's, we're starting here in Jonah chapter 1. This is the opening steps of our journey. The, the opening verses of Jonah 1 pretty much lay out where most people are at in their view of God. Okay, most people believe what I've been stating all along in the podcast today. Most people believe, okay, both then and now, most people believe God wants to destroy wicked sinners. All right? So, that's where this story begins. With the view of God that fits what most people believe. All right? In fact, it was the view presented, sort of, in Jonah 1-2. God sees his wickedness in Nineveh and says, oh, go preach against it, right? Uh, And the normal person reading that would say, oh, well, that means God wants to destroy Nineveh. By the way, go back and read verse 2 again very carefully to see if God actually says that. He doesn't, (laughs) okay? Hopefully that's not too much of a spoiler alert for the story. Anyway, so then Jonah heads off. He disobeys God, heads the opposite direction, heads off to Tarshish. (laughs) And so, God sends a storm. That's verse 4. Again, most people then and now would nod our heads. Yeah, this is how God behaves. This is what God does. This is how God treats people who disobey him. This is how God behaves, treats, disciplines, punishes, judges rebellious people. Okay? And then later in, just look ahead a little bit, in chapter 1, when the sailors say, what are we supposed to do? Jonah says, you know what? God's so angry at me. Throw me over and let me die so that you can live. Uh, Form a human sacrifice there, by the way. That's what Jonah's telling the sailors. Good job, Jonah. Okay, again, we nod our heads. Yes, yes, this will work. This is is what God wants. He wants to kill the rebellious sinner. Okay, yeah, this this is how God uh, punishes uh, sin. That fits right in with how many people view God. All right, so, so, so we're on this journey with Jonah, and the beginning stage of this journey with Jonah is to recognize the common human view of God. We believe God punishes sin. We believe God is angry at humans and requires payment for our many failures. We believe God even sends storms on innocent people, these sailors, just because they're in the wrong place at the wrong time when God lashes out in anger at some rebellious person, okay? Uh, God is seeking to punish Jonah for his sin, and those poor sailors just happen to be around when it happened. And we believe, well, God is God, and he can do what he wants. And besides that, you know, no person is actually innocent. These sailors were pagan, idol-worshiping people, and you know, and, and so they weren't actually innocent. And so when God punishes Jonah, well, I'm, you know, the sailors just happen to get in the way, but, uh, you know, be around. But, oh, well, they were sinners also. So God is righteous and holy. And, you know, God can treat humans like pawns in the chessboard of life because God is our creator and he can do what he wants. And who are we to question, you know, who are we to talk back to God? Okay. <laughs> You probably heard sermons along that line, those lines, right? So, did God send the storm in Jonah 1-4? Well, I believe that in this instance, he actually did. 
Okay. Why? Well, to play the part. Again, we're on a story with Jonah. God is taking Jonah on a journey, and we're along for the ride. Here in Jonah 1.4, now, this does not hold true, by the way, in Genesis 6 or in Exodus, okay, with the, or, or with the, the drowning of the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. Just here in Jonah 1.4, I believe God did send this storm. I believe, though, it is because God is playing the part that was expected of him by Jonah and us. Uh, he's behaving the way humans expect him to behave. You know, maybe even the way Jonah expected him to behave. Uh, Jonah rebels against God. He's doing the exact opposite of what God said. And so Jonah apparently believes that his actions are a death sentence for him. We'll be talking about that. Don't, Jonah has a death wish. We'll see that in the next several verses. Uh, he's suicidal. He really is. Um, and uh, he doesn't even care about the other people on the boat. And so God responds as Jonah expects and sends this violent storm. All right? And yet, all right? You say, well, well that, that doesn't fit with Jesus. Oh, but it, it does. <laughs> I, I believe that God looks just like Jesus and that Jesus is supremely nonviolent. Okay? But look at this storm. The storm is violent. He hurls this great wind. It calls this, this great tempest, this great storm. Okay? There's no indication in the text anyway that uh, any actual violence occurs as a result of the storm. All right, you look around. The, the ship thought it was going to break to pieces, but did it break into pieces? Nope. Okay, was anybody actually harmed? Nope. Uh, you know, this storm actually reminds me quite a bit of Jesus, this whirlwind Jesus cleansing the temple. Okay, here we have these priests, these Levites, okay, setting up Commerce, in the house of prayer, in the temple, stealing from the people who had come to worship God. And Jesus comes through. He makes a whip and he comes through there like a whirlwind, throwing over tables and setting the animals free and throwing coins all over the place. Okay, and people say, oh, look, Jesus is, you know, God is violent because Jesus is violent. Yeah, but look, (laughs) read the text carefully. Does anybody or any animal actually get harmed? Nope. Yeah, he lays about with a whip, but he doesn't actually whip people. Okay, he's cracking the whip, making noise, causing a ruckus, just like the storm here in Jonah 1. If you, if you, if you want to read actual violence and harming of humans and animals into Jesus cleansing the temple, well, you're engaging in eisegesis. You're reading into the text, something that isn't there. Same thing here. Yes, a storm is coming, but nothing and nobody is actually being harmed. Okay? Uh, so, so, so God does look just like Jesus. Jesus reveals God to us. Yes, Jesus is disrupting the business in the temple. And you might say, oh, well, that's what's going on here when the sailors throw their cargo overboard. No. <laughs> uh, actually, I believe that um, the sailors never had to throw their cargo overboard. They thought they did. And I believe Jonah knew that their lives were not in danger. Uh, Again, based on what I believe Jonah knows, as we'll see later in this story, I believe Jonah knew that God was not out to kill him, out to kill the sailors. And I believe that Jonah, if he hadn't gone down to sleep in the hold of the boat, he could have told these sailors, look, 
Guys, you don't need to throw your cargo overboard. Save your income for yourself and your families. Okay, throw me overboard and uh, you'll be fine. Um, okay, but, but again, the only person who knows that is Jonah. And uh, he's not willing to tell the sailors. It shows how much he cares. It's a big problem here in Jonah's heart. Again, God is taking Jonah on a journey into Jonah's heart and into God's heart. And we are along for the ride. Uh, by the way, th- there's a possibility, it's tough to say, uh, but there's a possibility this cargo that gets thrown overboard, <laughs> it might have belonged to Jonah himself. Um, there's a couple commentaries, you think back in 1.3, where uh, it says that uh, Jonah went down and bought the ship, or bought, um, the, you know, rented the ship. There's some people say the word that used there says that he bought the ship and everything on it. That, that's what the word means there. It means he bought everything on the ship. So this cargo that's getting thrown overboard might be Jonas himself. And so uh, Jonah has decided, uh, according to some commentaries, Jonah has decided to uh, give up his job as a prophet and become a trader, right? And so this is his first voyage as a trader. And so that's why he's sleeping, because he owns the ship, he owns uh, everybody, everything on it, okay? Uh, this is his first venture as a trader. A trader with a D, which is interesting because uh, he's a traitor to God, and now he's throwing all his profit. This profit is this profit turned traitor uh, is losing all his profit because he was a traitor. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I, look, I don't know if it belonged to uh, I don't know if the cargo belonged to to Jonah or to the uh, to the sailors, uh, but but I firmly believe none of them would have died if they had kept the cargo on board. God is not out to kill anyone on the ship, least of all the innocent sailors. Of course, the only way the sailors could have known that if, 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 is if Jonah had been doing his job and, and told the sailors that their lives were not in danger. Sort of like Paul does, by the way, in Acts 27. Of course, there they throw the cargo overboard also. But he does tell them. Paul does his job and says, look, you stay on board, nobody will die. Jonah should have been doing the same thing. But uh, he doesn't. He doesn't care about the sailors. He doesn't care about himself. He doesn't care about the Ninevites. Okay, all of that we'll see uh, going forward in this story. It gets us back to the, the whole point here. God is taking Jonah on a journey. And uh, Jonah's attitude here towards the idolatrous sailors reveals once again where Jonah's heart is at. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about anybody except for himself. We're going to see a lot of that going forward, but the point the point for here for today from Jonah one four is: Does God send storms? Well, ah, look, He might. He He definitely can. He's powerful enough. But but when He does, if He does, He's wise enough to do it in a way that disciplines. God doesn't punish. I want you to understand that God does not punish. Sin that carries its own punishment with it. So when bad things come and happen in your life, do those things come from God? Well, look, I'm not wise enough or smart enough to say always they do not come from God. They never, I'm not going to say that. Okay, Maybe God is disciplining my wife and I for something. I do not know. But neither does this person who sent the email to us. (laughs) Nobody knows. There's too many variables, too many factors to consider. One thing we do know, however, is that God always looks like Jesus. That Jesus fully reveals God to us. And so God never kills anybody, never harms, hurts, punishes. He's not going to send 
disease and famine and sickness and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. He's not going to kill a loved one. He doesn't do that because Jesus doesn't do that. Now, he might get in there, flip over the tables a little bit, create some noise, try to get our attention. Okay, that might happen. But uh, don't, 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 don't let that be your default view of God. Let your default view of God be just like Jesus. Loving, forgiving, merciful, gracious, kind, accepting. That's the Jesus we see in the Gospels. And Jesus fully reveals God. Just, if you've seen me, Jesus says, you have seen the Father. So look, I don't know what's going on in your life. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in my life. But I trust that Jesus is loving and kind and gracious. And just as he's going to get me through this time and my wife, he's going to get you through whatever you are facing in your life as well. Why? Because he loves you. He loves Jonah. He loves these sailors. And yes, God loves the people of Nineveh. I'm sort of ruining the story, but it's why God wanted Jonah to preach to the Ninevites in the first place. Now, we'll see all that as we journey with Jonah and uh, through the rest of this book, this amazing book. Hey, look, um, if you want to learn more of these sorts of truths, don't forget to join me in the discipleship area of redeeminggod.com. Just go to redeeminggod.com join. Join the hope or love membership area. And uh, that will give you free access to my courses, the ones that are there, and the one that is coming out at the end of this month. Thank you so much. Can't wait to see you then. Bye.